DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Dr. Bunsen serves as the faculty chair of the Catholic Distance University. He is also a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He is the author or co-author of over 45 books, including The Pope Encyclopedia, The Encyclopedia of Catholic History, The Encyclopedia of Saints, The Encyclopedia of U.S. Catholic History, and Pope Francis. Dr. Bunsen serves as a senior contributor for EWTN. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now begin part two of our discussion with Dr. Bunsen on the life and influence of St. John of Avila. To be able to be called the master, that's an extraordinary title. It is. He submitted himself in obedience, not to what he wanted, but to what God wanted. By every account, uh, he began to preach with incredible joy, but such eloquence, that word soon spread across Andalusia of his preaching. And such were the, the size of the, the congregations that would gather that the doors of churches had to open hours early because of the number of people who would start gathering there. And the doors of the churches were never shut during his masses because so many people were stretched out the door of the church, eager to hear him. But what did he do? He finished every sermon with plea and the admonition for those who heard his voice to go as soon as possible to the sacrament of reconciliation. Wow. And then he himself would be available in the confessional for as many hours as were needed to hear the confessions of those who came to him. Wow. And the thing ab about his homilies, from what I understood, Matthew, is that, yes, there was that, that blending and calling upon the Spirit to be his guide, yet it was shored up with a study and an understanding of Scripture that, I mean, he prepared himself in a way by his studies so that when it came time to preach to the people, it was it was the combination and allowing a grace to kind of use what he knew. But the fact is you still have to put the study in. Yes, yes, exactly. And But here's, here's one of those ways that, uh, as we saw with the, the, the lives of Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, even disasters in his life, or seeming disasters, were turned by God in his life uh, into ways of shaping him. I'm referring to the fact that John, in his preaching, was always exhorting reform, renewal, care for the poor, uh, speaking out about the, the defenseless, the starving, the sick, and uh, often preaching against the, the wealth of the clergy, materialism among his fellow priests, and the, the total unwillingness of the rich, in so many cases, to even turn an eye toward the poor and the starving. Now, as you can imagine, that there were some priests who did not appreciate uh, his preaching. Uh, they felt that he was a threat to their status. 
this is also true with uh, some of the members of the wealthy classes and even some of the nobility in Spain. And as a result, he was denounced to the Inquisition and in, in 1531. And he was arrested and then investigated on the claims in a, that in a homily he had gone so far as to proclaim that the doors of heaven were closed to the rich. He spent an entire year in the jails of the Inquisition. Now, he was at, at no time, as is often misunderstood by people regarding the Inquisition, he was never tortured, uh, but he was under investigation. And in much the same way as Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross had faced accusations and examinations by the Inquisitors, John was examined and was fully acquitted. In 1533, the Inquisition declared him utterly innocent, that he had no stain upon his reputation, that his teachings were entirely faithful to the church. But what had he done uh, in that year? Instead of languishing, instead of feeling that he had been mistreated, that he had been uh, oppressed by those who wouldn't listen to him, Instead, he spent the entire year in the study of the Pauline literature, the letters of St. Paul. And he came away from this experience with so deep an understanding of the, the Pauline epistles that a, a priest very famously commented after one of his homilies that he had heard, quote, St. Paul interpreting St. Paul. Mm, wow. So this then became a springboard uh, for a new era for John's activities, that uh, he left Sevilla, went to Cordoba, uh, another of the great cities where the church had lived under uh, Moorish domination for centuries, and began preaching there. And his task there was to do a couple of things. One, he, he preached to young people uh, to embrace the faith, to stop living in ignorance of the faith. He called on the wealthy to care for the poor, and then he begged his fellow priests, his fellow clergy, uh, to end their wasteful existence, their longing for status, their clericalism, and to live for the poor and the sick. And, you know, that can't, as we've spoken about before, it can't be overstated how important that is, but he would also go on to establish schools. And, yes, you know that would later become seminaries and to educate. So, I mean, it, the the wholeness, the the totality, the the vision was incredible, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And and around this time, uh, he proved that to be such an influence on the life of John of God, uh, who of course went on to establish the, the Brothers Hospitallers of Saint John of God, and then of course his influence on uh, Francis Borgia, who. Uh, had been a chivalrous nobleman, uh, obviously a member of the House of Borgia, which, which had its own sort of historical baggage. Uh, John was able to serve as a spiritual advisor right at the time when Francis had undergone this, this the, the famous story of his conversion, of uh, seeing the decomposition of a corpse. And recognizing what is to come for all of us. And that was, I think, uh, a turning point in, in Francis's life. But you still have to have somebody who can advise you, who can steer you in the right direction. 
so that that repentance, that spiritual transformation, that metanoia, actually takes hold and then builds you toward authentic holiness. And then, of course, it was around this time that uh, John became a spiritual advisor uh, to Teresa of Avila and then also uh, helped influence John of the Cross. Let me see if I can keep this straight on a scorecard. Here we have uh, Francis Borgia, who would later become, yes, the general of the Society of Jesus, Yes, we know as Jesuits. We have Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Carmelites, Peter Alicantara, Franciscans, mm-hmm. and a host of other charisms and orders that, I, I mean, I've lost, well, I can't keep track on the scorecard. Right. And we can say that uh, uh, John was one of the greatest supporters of uh, uh, Ignatius Loyola in the development of the Society of Jesus in Spain. What John was trying to do, uh, as is often the case with saints like this, he began attracting around himself like-minded priests, priests who saw in him his holiness, uh, his commitment to the Eucharist, uh, his his call for reform in an era of reform. Uh, And it had been sort of a natural thing for a community to start developing. Well, when John of Avila saw the remarkable work of the Jesuits, he began encouraging the, the priests who were gathering around him to take a serious look at the Society of Jesus. And he was so impressed with the Jesuits uh, that he did everything in his power uh, to support them and encourage them and to give them backing uh, with the hierarchy of the time. Uh, and, and in that sense, then, he was instrumental in what became almost a juggernaut of the Society of Jesus in the, in the Spanish Peninsula. Can we say he was a diocesan priest? Well, yes. Uh, he was uh, incarnated into the, the Archdiocese of Cordoba. It just goes to show that, I mean, we can have all these the various orders, again, the Carmelites, Franciscans, uh, the Jesuits, and yet it was a, a diocesan priest. And I think sometimes yes. we overlook them, don't we? We do. Uh, and it's, it's one of the reasons why... Um, Prior to naming him uh, a doctor of the church, uh, Pope Benedict XVI honored John of Avila as a patron of diocesan priests, Mm. specifically diocesan priests, because he was never threatened by these other communities, these religious orders, the Franciscans and the Augustinians and the Society of Jesus. Rather, he saw them as co-workers in the vineyard. But he always remained himself a part of the diocesan structure. He saw himself, in a way, as as a simple diocesan priest and fulfilled his life with great travel uh, through Andalusia, basing himself largely, as we've seen, in Cordoba and then in Granada and sometimes in Sevilla. But his task was always to be a, a pastor of souls to care for souls as any diocesan priest does. And to bring forward the great gifts in which we as lay people encounter Christ. And I'm speaking again specifically of the the gift of the Eucharist and the gift of the sacrament of reconciliation, confession. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now we have to add in fairness that John's health prohibited what might have been his own 
entry into the Society of Jesus. Uh, but he was, at his heart, a, a diocesan priest, and he declined the invitations uh, from Ignatius and others to join the Society of Jesus. The other thing, too, about John that we need to consider, and this is where some of his importance for us today comes in, and that is his place as a role model in the priesthood as one who was always calling for the renewal of the priesthood. And this is something that uh, Pope Benedict XVI uh, really wrote about when he was in, in his apostolic letter proclaiming John of Avila uh, a doctor of the church. And, and Pope Benedict wrote that central to his teachings is the insight that as priests, during the Mass, we place ourselves on the altar in the person of Christ to carry out the office of the Redeemer himself. But that acting in persona Christi demands that we humbly embody God's paternal and his maternal love. Since this calls for a lifestyle that is marked by recourse to the word of God and the Eucharist, by the adoption, he says, of a spirit of poverty, by preaching temperately, in other words, based on prior study and prayer, and by love for the church as the bride of Christ. But he, he was also taken up with the, the proper preparation of men for the priesthood. He was very keen on proper formation of young men in the seminaries because he, he recognized that if you did not turn out a priest properly, these defects were only going to grow much worse uh, to the detriment of the priest himself, but to the faithful and to the church. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. 
If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Matthew, at the Declaration, in that incredible moment when Pope Benedict XVI uh, spoke of not only Hildegard, but of John of Avila, so it caught my ear when he said that John had a great love for, in the New Testament, for the Gospel of John and with uh, St. Paul. Uh-huh. And that combination, that, that God is love and that understanding the identity, I mean, that you can see that weaved in and out of everything he's done. I mean, the influences of those two areas. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we see that in his preaching. We see that especially in his writings. Uh, but he's also impelled, uh, and this goes back to his very earliest days, uh, by his love of the Eucharist and his prayer life. Uh, he was a, a very much a, a man of prayer. And his, uh, he had a biographer by the name of Father Deli Odi who wrote that uh, for John, prayer had to consist more in listening than in speaking. And it, he wrote that, uh, that John always said that in being aware of our unworthiness, we should not so much speak with God as remain reverently and respectfully before him with a loving heart, waiting in silence, but also in hope for the supply of our needs from his divine mercy. But that's also why he considered it so important uh, that we revere, adore the Eucharist. That charism of wisdom that incredible gift that seemed to shine so brightly through him and it touched the so many that he encountered that is a part of his tremendous gift to the church isn't it matthew uh it, it is he makes it possible for us uh to understand what is really supposed to be important for us think about the fact that um he would enter a church wherever he traveled the first thing he did when he arrived in a city in a, in a town was to go to the church and there give thanks to our lord but he would do that not just kneeling but he would actually prostrate himself in adoration he would spend hours um, in eucharistic contemplation his masses uh, were quite remarkable because the Mass itself might last several hours. He usually spent several hours in anticipation of saying Mass, and then after Mass, he would spend at least an hour in prayerful thanksgiving for having had the privilege of celebrating the Mass. All of this is anchored in his humility. Uh, and it is said that there were witnesses that saw remarkable miracles, lights, flames, 
described as globes of living fire or rays of great brilliance that seemed to descend on him when he was saying Mass. Mm. Sounds like Padre Pio. Yes, exactly. Isn't it remarkable, Matthew, that again, here is a tremendous saint who so many of us know so little about and is proclaimed a doctor of the church ahead of those we know so much about, either like uh, a St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, yes, but he deserves the title uh, for precisely the reason of his humility. Mm. I mean, it, sounds, it sounds like an odd contradiction, uh, but he was happy, I think, to have allowed those like Ignatius and others to uh, go before him in fame, uh, in sort of giving them the space uh, to bring about reform in the church. I think it was a source of great comfort to him. And knowing a little about John, having read everything that he ever wrote, I, I think it is safe to say that um, he probably would not have considered himself a doctor of the church. He, he might, in fact, have recoiled at the idea of it uh, and probably would have said, well, there are so many others uh, who deserve it before I do. And yet, uh, in the years after his death, what was his reputation? Well, he was beloved in his lifetime, revered for his holiness after his death, uh, and his causes for Canonization was actually opened in 1623, but for a variety of reasons, uh, he was, again, overshadowed by so many other saints of that same era. And as a result, uh, he was not actually canonized a saint until 1970 uh, by Pope Paul VI and was declared patron of the Spanish clergy in 1946. And again, of course, a doctor of the church only in 2012. So it was honor, but it was long-delayed honor. So like so many of those hidden saints, if we can call them that, that you know, throughout time may have not been lost to, of course, the, the great beatific vision, but maybe to us uh, in our modern times, why is it that he was brought forward? I think for a, a couple of reasons. Um, and, and the timing of when somebody is named a doctor of the church is something that you and I have talked about. It's worth actually meditating on. Suppose that he'd been named a doctor of the church 100 years ago. Or suppose that he'd been named uh, a doctor of the church by Pius XII in 1946 instead of just being declared Spanish diocesan clergy's patron. We would have had that opportunity to meditate on him. But the focus of attention by the whole church would not then have taken place. At a time when the church needs the examples of remarkable holy priests, in an age in which we are now coming out of the disaster of the sex abuse scandal, at a time when we still needed and want the reform of the priesthood, the renewal of the priesthood across the church in the wake of the scandal, but also in, in the need for this as we embark on this new century and this new millennium. Pope Benedict XVI, at the urging of the bishops and the, and the priests of Spain, 
took it upon himself to agree. And in 2012, he named him a doctor of the church at exactly the time, I think, when there are seminarians and there are priests out there who are looking for new role models. Let's not forget that it was right around that time that we had uh, the year for priests and we had uh, the Curie of ours named as sort of the, the, the great patron, Jean Vianney. But we need additional ones. And so with the naming of this new doctor, we are able to study him, to study his life and his writings, and to focus ourselves on that, to use that word again, to focus on this one particular doctor of the church and what he has to say on the Eucharist, on prayer, uh, and, and we can even throw in there one of his most famous books, uh, Audi Fili, uh, in which he gives uh, wonderful advice. It's a book called Listen, Daughter. Uh, wonderful advice on spirituality rooted in the Psalms. So right at this time, he is an antidote to so many of the problems that we're facing today. If we have the wisdom uh, to follow the lead of, of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and actually avail ourselves of this treasure of his writings and his life. Yeah, I would say that for us as lay people, incredible saint for us to get to know and learn from, but also for that diocesan priest who is working hard in the school and has, you know, is hearing the confessions, preparing the people for marriage, doing all what may seem like the ordinary activity of a priest, and yet look at the ripple effects. And it doesn't mean that you can't stop writing. And look at the power of what your homily can do. And look what the gift of your hearing the confession. I mean, it, and this, you know, John Vianney, what a blessing, but in a remote area, an extraordinary story. But here, John of Avila, I mean, he is he really is the uh, the epitome of what can happen in the life of that diocesan priest. Yes, yes. And the impact that one priest can have on not just a parish but an entire city. John transformed Sevilla. He transformed Cordoba with his preaching. But not just his preaching. It's one thing to be able to preach a good homily. Mhm. Mm it's another thing, though, to live what you're preaching, to become a model of holiness, not as some unattainable ideal, but in the daily grind of your life, to remain faithful uh, to who you are called to be, and then to encourage other people in that, always to be there, to be available for spiritual advice, to be available in the confessional, uh, to preach, uh, but again, to live as a saint uh, and to live that vocation. You know, Pope Paul VI had a great line about him. He said that John did not doubt. He was conscious of his vocation. He had faith in his priestly election. Any final thoughts about John of Avila? Yeah, uh, I think it's... Um, best said uh, by Pope Benedict XVI. He said that the declaration that a saint is a doctor of the universal church implies a recognition of a, that charism of wisdom. Then he added, 
John of Avila was often sought out by his contemporaries as a master of theology gifted with the discernment of spirits and a director of souls. His help and guidance were sought by great saints and acknowledged sinners, the wise and the unlearned, the poor and the rich. He was also responsible for important conversions and sought constantly to improve the life of faith and the understanding of the Christian message of those who flocked to hear him, eager to hear his teachings. Learned bishops and religious also sought him out as a counselor, preacher, and theologian. He exerted influence on those who came into contact with them and on the environments in which he moved. And that is something that all of us are called to do and to be. St. John of Avila. Pray for us. Amen. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you so much. Joy to be with you, Chris. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.